Cluster headaches are often considered to be the most painful of all types of headaches. No medications are known to terminate cluster periods or to extend remission. So why have complete remissions now been induced by hallucinogenic compounds in clinical trials? You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Halpern, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School in Boston. Dr. Halpern is Associate Director of Substance Abuse Research at McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. He is part of a select group of researchers throughout the country looking into drugs that were previously considered illicit, but now there's a vision for legitimate medical uses. His work includes looking into LSD and psilocybin for cluster headaches and anxiety in patients with terminal illnesses. What's more is some of his projects have regulatory approval and some have even had government funding. Today we're discussing what you probably don't know about psilocybin, LSD, and cluster headaches, and we're very glad to talk to you today, Dr. Halpern. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here and that ReachMD is interested in the research that I'm doing. It's a fascinating area of research, and probably in the past it hasn't been explored enough with the advent of the use of these drugs outside the laboratory as illicit agents, but this is different. So tell us a little bit of how you got involved in research with LSD and psilocybin. Well, I've been devoted in my career to looking at the consequences of the ingestion of hallucinogens by humans for over a decade since I finished up my residency and before in psychiatry. And so I had a three-year research fellowship in drug and alcohol abuse research and training fellowships. I have completed a study on the long-term neurocognitive consequences of long-term peyote use by Native Americans who take it for religious reasons. This is published in 2005 in Biological Psychiatry, a study of a few hundred Navajo Native Americans not showing long-term neurocognitive deficits on the measures that we administered. A variety of other projects as well, looking at the long-term harms from illicit ecstasy use and about hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. And so it's just part of this research area. I've been introduced to how these drugs are ingested sacramentally for religious purposes, but also then coming into contact with people expressing powerful therapeutic benefits from these drugs, um, some of them psychological, some of them um, medical. And so in early 2004, a number of patients with cluster headache came out uh, to visit me and tell me how that they've been using LSD and psilocybin to take their illness of cluster headache and change it into something much more manageable, which is just remarkable. So these are people that are not from a drug-using background, people like lobbyists and lawyers, business owners, senior executives, housewives, teachers, people that look very much like mainstream America, except they're with cluster headache. And while research has shown cluster headache treatments may have a placebo effect, maybe, for just one headache attack, doesn't appear to be a placebo response in research when you're looking at the series of headaches that comprise a cluster period. People get them two to eight a day or every other day for weeks to months, and some people who are chronic cluster headache have it um, year-round and are just free from them one month out of the year. These patients who had such success on their own, which kind of led you into this research or gave you an idea to look further into it, had they used psilocybin or another form of hallucinogenic compound one time, or did it take several times for them to see a remission of their symptoms? Great question. The founder of Cluster Busters, 
and people can go to clusterbusters.com to learn more about this group. Mr. Bob Wild, he's tried a hundred different types of uh, medications prescribed to try to get them to work and was totally chronic uh, cluster headache uh, patient and totally treatment refractory. And by taking illicitly psilocybin or LSD a few times, appears to break the cycle. But there's a number of people who've described taking even one of these substances in the middle of a headache and it shuts down the headache attack. And it then has, appears to have a protective factor that can last for several days. And by taking it a few times spaced out over a couple of weeks, patients have described early termination of the cluster period and extension of the remission period which is remarkable. Now, what's the theory of the physiology behind this? We know ergot derivatives aren't always effective. Why are these psychedelics effective? I think it's a chemotherapeutic effect. I bet if we put these people so that they're unconscious, it would still have a treatment effect on them. And there are a number of medications that are used in the treatment of cluster headache and in headache in general that have structural similarity to LSD, ergotamine, dihydroergotamine, Sansert, Sansert taken in overdose, in fact, induces a hallucinogenic-like experience in people. So that's one partial answer for you is that there are medications already approved somewhat similar to these drugs structurally, but we have yet to elucidate how or really if these medications truly do have these medical properties. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. John Halpern, and we are discussing the potential for medical benefits from psychedelic medications such as psilocybin and LSD. So what was the response of the, the patients to this trial? Were they receptive? I just came back from the second annual meeting of Clusterbusters, and they're eager to see this study happen. They know that this is also called suicide headaches because sometimes people do kill themselves to get away from the debilitating pain of this illness. It's it's excruciating. It's far worse than a migraine or, or any other headache could ever be, and it's terrifying to have these types of headaches. They're typically described as an ice picker and all slowly boring through your eye socket or feeling a burning sensation above your eye, and people will pull their hair out or bang their heads against the wall to give themselves refractory pain to distract them from the pain of this headache. Their eye is bulging or tearing and and is injected. They have nasal discharge, all on just the side of the headache. So it's horrible. And here's something that not only can interrupt a headache, but appears to shut down the entire series of headaches. There's nothing approved right now that could do that. The current standard of care is to offer triptans, for example. And a triptan, like Imitrex, will reliably shut down a headache, just one. And so if you are in mid-phase of your cycles of headaches and are getting four or eight headaches a day, that injection, that only worked for one. You got the, the other, you know, four, five, six, seven headaches still coming. And a, a number of patients describe tryptans as causing a kindling effect, that they wind up getting more frequent headaches and number of headaches after their use. What's unique about the informed consent for this trial? What do you have to warn patients? Uh, We know when you do spinal taps, you talk about severe headaches or infection or even death. Anything unusual you have to put in if you're you're administering a um, psychedelic substance? Absolutely. The informed consent probably is going to be over 20 pages long to try to go through all the potential risks that are known about its use. However, LC and psilocybin, when given in the research setting, is extremely safe. It has a safety profile that is favorable for research. The harms that we know from these drugs have typically come from their illicit abuse, 
which is quite different. And on the informed consent, we'll also have a quiz to make sure that people were able to digest the information that, that they read. And they'll have an ample amount of time to review the protocol and informed consent, and they may withdraw at any time. It really is, should be a standard, easy-to-understand thing. The issues of describing the risks of taking a Schedule One drug like LSD and psilocybin in comparison to having arguably the most painful condition we know of, I think most physicians should appreciate that that's a potentially important project. So the risk-benefit ratio is going to be there? The risk-benefit ratio darn well should be there. We shouldn't, the study shouldn't happen to begin with. So what's the future, as you see it, for the medical uses of psychedelic medications? What's your vision? Where is this going? I would hope that within the next 10 years, a series of studies will be conducted and replicated on issues like treatment for alcoholism, use of peyote, for example, for Native Americans to help them in recovery, people who have genuine religious uses being free to express their religious faith if that is what they wish to do, clinical applications in psychotherapy uh, as an, an adjunctive agent to assist in psychotherapy, and importantly for cluster headache. There's other studies being done with MDMA and post-traumatic stress disorder, psilocybin, also with people with diagnosis-associated uh, anxiety related to advanced-stage cancer, psilocybin for the treatment of OCD. Some of these projects may have promising results to them, but how to grow it into the phase two, phase three trials to develop it into actual medicines to market is a daunting task. But maybe over about a decade and a number of other colleagues finally jumping in and either directly engaging in this type of work, and we're starting to see other researchers do such a thing, or by indirectly helping, such as providing financial support and inviting myself and my colleagues out to give grand rounds, things could change. What turnaround time would you say for physicians or patients who were not doing studies to get these drugs and you said 10 years? I would have said 5 to 10 years? It could be 5 to 10 years. It just depends on a host of factors. Financial ones are huge. Manpower ones are also there. People are becoming more aware of this type of research only because a few of us have been plugging away at this for a number of years now, and we're starting to bear fruit from all this work, and it's getting a lot of attention. There are no shortcuts, though. It's a long process and a careful one. Patients come first. We must make sure that the FDA knows that we have a true medicine that really has that same favorable risk-benefit ratio so we can explain the side effects to our patients and explain to them why the medicinal property makes this an important treatment. If we can't do that, if we can't operationalize it, if we can't present it clearly to ourselves, we'll never be able to help patients with this either. Is there any other drug studies you're working on that you could tell us about? I know there's a lot in this realm. Well, two other areas of interest that I'm pursuing include at some point coming back to Navajo Nation to look at the use of peyote ritually for the treatment of alcoholism and work with the uh, largest uh, treatment centers for Native American alcoholics in this process, uh, Total Behavioral Health up in Farmington and Nanizoshi Treatment Center in Gallup. I would love the opportunity to work with colleagues at these fantastic institutions again. And I'm also working with a medical toxicologist, Dr. Ed Boyer, on this herb that is non-regulated, Kratom or Kratom, from Thailand and uh, Southeast Asia and has opiate uh, agonist properties and is being used by opiate-dependent individuals to help them with withdrawal. That needs to be evaluated carefully, both in how it may shift patterns of use and abuse of opiates in this country. Now, lastly, where can doctors go for more information? Colleagues who are interested in my work are always welcome to send me an email at john underscore halpern at hms.harvard.edu, or you can look my name up in the Harvard White Pages online. But uh, a couple of websites include 
clusterbusters.com, which is the cluster headache uh, uh, not-for-profit that's sponsoring uh, the research that I'll be doing, I hope to be doing, with Elsie and psilocybin here. And there's other not-for-profits that are uh, trying to advance this type of research in general. One is maps.org, M-A-P-S.org, and um, hefter.org, H-E-F-F-T-E-R. Dr. Halpern, thank you for being my guest today. We've been discussing tomorrow's medicines, medical benefits from psychedelic drugs. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Laser Greenfield with the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and you are listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals.